welcome to today's podcast. We have a star lineup of speakers with Dr. Jeremy Smith and Caitlin Smith from MyMD Connect and David Jacobson, VP of Sales at Entrust to talk about direct primary care and what is working well. This program is brought to you by the Healthcare Administrators Association, HCAA. For over 40 years, HCAA has supported third-party administrators and the self-insured employer industry through educational opportunities from leading industry experts. For information on joining HCAA, please visit our website at hcaa.org. I'm your host, Ramesh Kumar, and I'm on a mission to bring value to the healthcare industry through improved transparency. And my goal from this podcast is to give you one aha moment that you can implement in your business, whether you are a TPA, broker, or an employer. In my day job, I run a company called Zaki Point Health that helps self-insured employers and their employees find meaning from their healthcare data and price transparency. Please like or share this podcast on your favorite podcasting tool so we can bring together a community of like-minded professionals. I am thrilled to share insights from Dr. Jeremy Smith and Caitlin Smith from MyMD Connect and David Jacobson, who have been actually perfecting the model, the direct primary care model for several years. And the reason I'm very excited is that Dr. Jeremy Smith, who actually is a practicing physician, spent many years really trying to get this primary care model working. And after being bruised many, many times, actually came up with the model of working with the TPA. So some of the insights today are really exciting. And uh, you're going to learn a lot about things like how to drive value from DPC, where does direct primary care work best? How do you ensure members are using it and using it appropriately? And is care navigation a part of it or not? And whether you can see ROI from DPC or these concierge programs and how do you arrive at the ROI? So let's dig in. Welcome to the show today. I'm very excited to have Dr. Smith, a practicing physician who has actually spent a lot of time thinking about this. But let me just first start. We have three great speakers, Dr. Smith, Caitlin, who both work with a direct primary care service provider and DJ representing almost the TPA perspective, which I think would be really helpful for our listeners. But it would be good maybe to hear from our speakers today, maybe starting from Dr. Smith to you. Why should our listeners listen to you? Maybe they shouldn't, but if they have nothing else better to do and they're interested in the subject, I'm a family medicine doctor by training. I practiced seven years as a fee-for-service doctor. I got a big taste of the awfulness that our medical system was, regretted even going to medical school. That's a common story you'll hear from direct primary care doctors, which at the time wasn't a thing yet for me. I just simply transitioned out of a fee-for-service world into a membership-based model. I gave that a go to see if it would work. I loved the job. Problem was I wasn't making any revenue and I couldn't make a living doing it, but wasn't going to go back to that. So in the meantime, I found David Jacobson, DJ here on the call, who was in the benefits industry with TPAs and they were having their own set of problems. Obamacare had just launched. They were selling minimal essential coverage plans that weren't any good. Costs were getting out of control. And we came together and realized that if we married the two concepts and put direct primary care into employer health plans, that might work. That was, gosh, seven years ago now. So why I would listen to us is we've suffered through all the 
tools that one would have to do to figure out how to integrate direct primary care into the solution of employer benefits plans when it comes to the medical side, even on the supplemental side and tying into that with workers' comp, et cetera. So I would listen just because we've already learned a lot. I like hearing about wounds from doctors. So mm-hmm. now we can share those wounds with a greater kind of industry here. Great. Caitlin, how about you? Really, I'm here to help impl- or to help the brokers as well as TPAs win and retain business through the implementation of direct primary care. So I'm here to partner with brokers and TPAs on that. And then if you're an employer group and you're potentially listening to this, I'm the person that throughout the year is making sure that the program is successful, that your employees are satisfied with what they are receiving, and that the employee as well as the employer is really truly saving money while also having a happier, healthier population. Wonderful. DJ? I love listening to both Caitlin and Jeremy talk about the advantages of direct primary care. The individuals that are listening that want to figure out why would somebody want to pay for this, I think that's one of the key components. It's a great luxury item, but if you can't figure out how to put it into a plan and offset the cost, people aren't going to buy it. They like it, but I don't know if they're going to spend the extra money to do it. Why don't we start with you, DJ, then? You've been there in the trenches trying to make work from the TP angle. And I think we'll certainly come to Dr. Smith as well. Maybe pick a couple of experiences. Where has it worked best? And if you could define when we say direct primary care, because the definition could be different. If you could define what was the program and why did it work in that situation? Yeah. And I think, I think Ramesh, I think a general statement is we all know that there's a problem with access to really high quality primary care. I think that's a given. I think most employers, brokers, and administrators know that. But what the third-party administrators and the health plans are struggling with is the high cost of build charges on facilities right now. Overuse of the emergency room. You've got COVID and, and things like that. You've also got a really dynamic with healthcare literacy right now in the employee population and the patient population. They just don't know where to go. What do you do at 11 o'clock at night? If, are you having a heart attack? Or are you having a COVID symptom? So the access to the doctor is great, but it's an additional cost. A lot of the money is being spent on hospitalization and emergency room. So what we found is if we can promote the engagement and if we can get the individuals to engage the primary care physician prior to needing services, and we can feed the direct primary care the information on, hey, what are the lower cost drugs? Where are the lower cost facilities? Things like that inside the plan, they can navigate the patient better as to where to go. I mean, in our best scenario, we've seen people cut their costs literally 50 to 60%. But that's not because of they went to this primary care physician instead of this one. That's because we cut the emergency room spend down from 40% of unnecessary emergency room stays down to five, right? or we were able to cut the brand name and specialty drug spend down to a lower cost situation where they were able to get it through alternative means or whatever it may be. So I think that's the important component. Again, I love the quality of the doctoring, but if it's not plugged into a plan, I I just don't know that people understand the value because they're so worried about the expenses on the other side. Let's kind of drill down that a little bit more. So you talked about the different categories where direct primary care can have a huge impact and by bringing that data. 
could you kind of help me like what kind of size of employer, what kind of places, industries, or should we not even be thinking those silos? I've got clients that have two lives. I have clients that have, actually, I think my largest one is 28,000 employees. So I've done a lot of consulting with the different dynamics of companies on the health plan design standpoint, not on the broker side, but on the creation of a plan. It gets very complicated when you have clients that have multiple locations across multiple areas, maybe in rural America or whatever it may be, there are not enough direct primary care physicians to reach that population right now, but they still have a need as well as to what type of quality doctoring do we get? What do I do when I'm sick? But also where do I go down the path, right? So it really depends, Ramesh, on the dynamics of each individual group. Obviously, if you've got a group of 15 people and they're all located in one place, sure, the doctor can head out there, do some on-site visits, do some things like that, and really promote wellness. But how do you do it when you got 5,000 people spread out over 43 locations? I mean, it's difficult to do, right? So my personal experience, if I was going to give someone a recipe to best engage the doctor... I would obviously feed the doctor the information about the patients, right? If you could gather that information, identify the chronic conditions and the high cost claimants and the people that are having high dollar drugs, I would give the doctor that information so that way they can be prepared to help the individual when the individual calls in. And then from the TPA standpoint, or MyMD Connect actually does this, I would promote the engagement to make the individuals aware of what the primary care physician can do for them. So Ramesh, I don't know that it's specific to the size of an employer group, right? Because if you've got a 5,000 life employer group with a hundred cancers, how is that really different than a 50 life group with one cancer? It's the same thing. You just mm. need to manage that patient. I mean, I think the biggest thing is really just understanding what the group is trying to accomplish and having that conversation. What are your goals? Let's look at this data. What is this data showing us? And then from there, developing a solution around direct primary care and our concierge and our coordination and all of that, that's going to get the group from point A to point B. So the steps that we take is, for the most part, I would say kind of different for every client to make sure that their program is successful. But at the core of everything is direct primary care and making sure that those employees are taken care of. I'll finish that up because they kind of mentioned where it does work. I'll tell you where it doesn't work. You can't just add direct primary care to a health plan and bolt it onto the side of it and expect it to work. It just adds cost. And that's a non-integrated plan. We know that doesn't work. We've had clients do that. I'd say the bigger effort in the country with trying to get DPC into health plans. That's been the approach is take the off the shelf broker plan, put DPC on it. That doesn't work. It will not sustain itself in the market. So MindD Connect is we are experts at integrating this in and then all the bits and pieces that have to go with that. That's the solution. I like this. So Dr. Smith, if you could now elaborate, well, what are the right components? Is it the plan design change or is it more than that as well? It's more than that, but it starts there. So yeah, it's plan design. You've got to figure out where's the hub of the health plan. It needs to be a doctor. There's tons of things in the industry to help guide patients and advocate patients, but none of them are the physicians. If you can change that advocate to the doctor seeing the patient, 
give him the education on the plan and the patient. So there's two living entities in front of him. That's not that difficult. It's not much different than what you do as a physician in the first place. I can save the patient and kill the health plan, or I can save both, right? But if I don't have the training on the health plan, there's no telling what I'm doing trying to save my patient. I'm going to kill the health plan. And that's what doctors across the country don't understand is they have no idea how health plans work. So we educate the doctors that are at the hub of our plan. They're at the hub because of our design. Now, you've got to make design changes to drive the population into that educated hub. If you don't do that, and you can use a stick and you can use a carrot. We've seen both work. Which one works better, carrot or the stick? My favorite is the carrot. I think that humans respond to sticks better. <laughs> hey, Ramesh, I don't know if I agree with Jeremy, and that's why I love our relationship. I think plan participants and members are looking for the support. I'm sorry. I'm the best example. I am a lazy individual. When it comes to my own healthcare, even though I've been in this industry, I want somebody to do it for me. Would I rather trust the insurance person? Or would I rather trust the doctor? I'm going to trust Jeremy to give me the guidance. And if he can give me a lot more and help me understand my plan, I'm good with that. I'll take it from there. Yeah. And that's why Dr. Smith, to your point, having the doctor also understand the plan and be able to use that to communicate is important here. This is a fundamental. I mean, when I started doing this, I had no idea. Yeah. Doctors think that there's an insurance company that's owned by a really rich person and he's greedy and selfish. Everyone should hate him. And by God, he should pay for everything. That is the general understanding of physicians and patients. And the day the light bulb came on, I was like, oh, my boss is paying for this. Huh. I don't really, if I submarine that guy, that's a bad deal. I'm going to lose my job. I remember the day that light came on for me. When we can even have the patients understand that at some points, like you realize that's not an insurance company. Your boss is paying for this at the end of the day, right? And they're like, oh, they start acting a little different. They kind of get a little more buy-in. Not the perception of anybody out there. Which is something where we really try to talk about when we're doing open enrollments, for instance, and helping people understand you want to use MyMD Connect because we want to keep the cost low for your employer and having that conversation with employees because we go over that. A lot of times you're like, oh, you know, I don't care about the cost of this prescription. Insurance pays for it. And so I always tell employees, I'm like, who do you think actually pays for it, though, at the end of the day? And kind of give them that education on, oh, it actually goes back to you every year. If you see that increase, it's because several of you are saying, oh, I don't care. You know, I'm just having a heyday because insurance pays for it. So really making sure that employees understand that so they feel a sense of being involved in the process and that they understand how that works so they can also then proactively make better decisions that will overall impact not just their wallet, but also the employer health plan and keep those costs low for them for years to come. So going back to Dr. Smith, obviously, Kaitlin, as you mentioned, enrollment time, communication is key. Plan design is key. What are some of the other components as you think about direct primary care and its impact? Well, going forward, the other pieces you need, which are difficult, is you're talking about doctors that have left the insurance industry because of how complex it is, because of the systems, because of the requirements. So how do you integrate with those guys? but feed them the necessary information. 
we still got to put a, a census of people that are on the health plan in their practice. That has to happen. Well, half of them are on systems designed not to integrate with anything. So it's, it's difficult. So we had to build a system in order to do that. Just getting who is on and off the plan. These are simple things. Getting information from the pharmacy benefit management solution that's in the plan, getting that translated over to the physician's point of care into his chart so he can know, oh, it wouldn't do any good to write drug A, drug B and C are better choices for all of these reasons. That's a difficult thing. One of the best parts of direct primary care is they've got their finger on the pulse of cash in the market. So direct primary care docs are experts at getting medical services outside of their service, buying labs, buying imaging, getting simple surgeries put together for bundle pricing. No one's better than the local DPC at that. How do you allow that skill set to benefit the employer? You've got to have a connection. And so we had to build that. That led us to a kind of a concept of care coordination. How do you help the doctor? Because I mean, at some point, layering all these things that make it work so well, get very heavy on the doctor, which is, exactly the opposite of where we want to head. So how do you do that? You bring in a skilled team with the tools necessary where the doctor says, Hey, so-and-so needs a gallbladder. Locally, I know this works really well. Can you guys help me? Because I need to do doctor stuff, not become an expert at this. So that care coordination piece is, I think, key for sustainability of this type of plan in the marketplace. And one we've poured a lot of research and development and resources into. So you touched on two other important points. One is all of that data information, whether that is different places of care, what pharmacy alternatives benefits are. And then, so that access, is that a, you know, a big part of what you ensure the doctor, the clinical team, and whoever else is touching the, the patient, they have access to all of this? Yes. And so they all have access to it, but at some point, Information that's so vast becomes a landscape and is not useful. So that's especially probably first for the doctor, that becomes apparent. Because again, he's the doctor. He can't be a care coordination expert, but it is his skill set, his ability to invade into that market that if you put a care team behind, you can harness that. You don't want to lose that skill set. You don't want to lose the ability for me to pick up the phone and call the surgical center as a colleague and say, hey, Miss so-and-so, my patient needs your gallbladder out. Can you guys do it? And by the way, how much will that cost? Today, point of service. I'm not talking about, hey, I'm going to send her over there. And then y'all enter this incredibly complex payment cycle that everybody thinks is normal. Nope, we're going to run it like the grocery store. And when you can pay at the time of service, it unlocks everybody's mind. I I had a meeting this morning where... at a facility that offers medical services blew their mind. They're like, I don't know if we can take credit card payments and make our business work. (laughs) Well, Hmm. why not? I mean, did you hear it? I wish I recorded that. I'd have played it back for them. So if we don't simplify this whole thing, we don't cut those costs out, trim the fat. How are we any better than where the medical system has ended up in the first place? If I'm understanding this, you're also then talking about 
are you saying you need to have that contract with the gallbladder specialist or more like an understanding of what things cost there and you're just referring the patient to get that treatment done? What's the relationship there and what should be the ideal relationship between the DPC site and the specialist there? So it doesn't have to be contractual. The DPC doctor locally in his community is going to know where the best value is. So you don't want the cheapest surgery. You want the best value. So one, they're going to know the quality uh, surgeries that are available, and they're going to have that relationship to be able to get it at the best price. I think we have 40 doctors out there doing this. We can funnel that into a database of services that we acquire over time. And that database becomes your shopping ground for your clinical coordination team. There is some public data becoming more and more available due to some legislation changes over price transparency. And so at MindD Connect, we're assembling an internal database to be able to do that value calculation. So we don't have to recreate the wheel. This is how you scale it. But back to the relationship is that doctor allows you to penetrate into where you can't get if you call as a a clinical team saying, hey, I'm with the insurance company. How much do y'all charge for X? The answer to that question is as much as I can get. Now, it sounds like, well, what insurance do they have? That, that's what you hear. But the translation is, well, we charge as much as we can get. That's got to stop. So direct primary care is a cool skill set. We can go in and just say, how much will you do it for? they're like, hey, if we get paid today, we can do it for the market price. And we become experts at what that market price is. And at Miami Connect, we can harness that and put that into a team that can assist these doctors with the scale of this business. Wonderful. So kind of having that database where that's external third party or built over a period of time of those services, what it costs and then quality, that kind of knowledge is key. And you sort of talked about putting it all together through like a care coordination navigation team. What is the role of that? How does that work in conjunction with the physician on a DPC site? So I explain it to our doctors like this. You've got a direct primary care clinic. We have patients that live inside of our health plans. We're going to bring them to you for you to be their doctor. But I'm also bringing you an assistant staff called our care coordination team. And anytime our patients need something, whether it's a lab or an image or a surgery, you order it and you bring it to our care team. And together, y'all will go source that out. So for the doctor, it's great. We have direct primary care docs have no staff whatsoever. I mean, I envy them because I run a very top heavy DPC clinic. But without the support of our care coordination team, they couldn't do that. But it allows the doctor truly just to be doctor. And that's illustrated in our, in our docs that literally have no staff. They have no nurses, no managers, no anything. And we have some that don't have an office. They just do virtual care. So, and then, and then for the employee, it's great, too, because they have someone that's coordinating that for them, scheduling it for it. So they really just kind of show up. And it's already paid for, generally. You know, they've already made that that negotiation. So everything's all taken care of. So this is especially impactful. I know that you've done a podcast previously on reference-based pricing. This is even more impactful than when you're doing something like reference-based pricing, because then you're eliminating the opportunity for a balanced bill in that situation, because everything is coordinated and paid for ahead of time. 
And so we integrate this into a lot of plans that have reference-based pricing, and that really sets the employee up for success every single time if they utilize MyMD Connect. Great point, Caitlin. I mean, Texas has got no surprise bill act, and I know other states are following that. It's all in fear of that balanced bill. We use cash and pay for services in full at the time of service. We get the best price, and there's zero chance of a balanced bill because it's, it's done. Business cycle is done. I love it. And without it, I just don't see the future of healthcare sustaining itself and, and its top heavy system that it uses today. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. So think of it this way a smart health plan design, if the employer has the tolerance for a reference based price, we can go out and strive to beat even the reference based pricing and avoid the balance bill all at one time. And if not, then we can fall back on the Hey, the plan has a reference based price. And there's after the fact products out there. I mean, there's all kinds of solutions. What do we do with the balance bill? There's even risk products that you can buy to settle those things and the employer can pay for it on a capitated service, but they're all after the fact. Why isn't anyone thinking about the book just get ahead of it before the fact? Just pay for it. That's what we're doing on our plans. Got it. Kind of having that prepayment or on the spot payment. And that kind of understanding of what things cost anyway, and yeah. being able to help that member through care coordination. So these are really important components you just described. So how is that going? I mean, I guess my question really is targeted at what is the impact you're seeing as you bring all of these pieces together? Well, the savings are impressive. So the market price or cash price is always better than a PPO for sure. And it's usually better than a reference-based price. We see 80% of Medicare is usually what I'm finding when you go wielding cash. I mean, that's great. Try to write a reference-based price and say, hey, we're going to reimburse 80% of Medicare and see how far you get. Yeah. Let, let me make sure I understand this correctly. So if something costs a dollar or CMS for Medicare, you're able to pay on prepayment of other model 80 cents on mm-hmm. that. Yeah, and it's done. Versus if you wrote a health plan, and you said, we're going to reimburse off of Medicare's rate, and, and I'll give you the 100% of Medicare. <laughs> that would fly nowhere, right? Yeah. That would flop in the market. But let's just pretend you would do that. Yes, we can come underneath that. Even if you wrote it at 100% of Medicare, you're going to have tons of balance bills accumulating that are going to have to get settled after the fact. That's terribly noisy. But yes, we are able to pay 80%, 80 cents on the dollar the day of routinely. And everybody's happy. There's no risk. The pain point is the scalability of it, which we've come up with the financing and banking solution to make that easy at the point of sale. We've solved that. The rest is volume of care coordinating and scheduling. And one of the biggest barriers is just the, it's so far outside of their norm that the lady at the front or the man at the reception desk, when their patient walks in, they're just confused. Like, the first question our patients get is, let me see your insurance card. We've trained them as like, we're not using insurance. It's already been paid for. Just walk past that stage. So those are the hurdles. It's just that the root, these suppliers, these facilities of medical services are so ingrained. And first question is get their insurance card so that we can get as much money as possible. If that's not enough, we'll just send them a bill later on, balance bill them. Breaking that line of thought is one of the hardest things that we do on a day-to-day basis. Mm. It requires 
a lot of education and education is a heavy, heavy cost in time and resources. That seems to be, I guess, the biggest challenge. I mean, if you had to talk through the challenge of all of this education, patient education, or also employer education. Facility education, broker education, webinar education. I mean, yes, I spend an enormous amount of my time just educating people because it's so different. Got it. And so what is the impact? You mentioned 80 cents across everything. So am I, I want to make sure I'm fully understanding this and for our listeners, if the cost in previous years before DPC through your model was put in place, I could anticipate almost 20% reduction if everything went well. Yeah, I think 20% is a very conservative. That's conservative. If we do an integrated health plan that covers a robust amount of things, I'm not talking about minimal essential coverage plans. You can't save any money on a plan that doesn't cover anything. But on a major medical plan, we can reduce the claims spend by comfortably 30%. As DJ mentioned, we've had groups that cut it in half. Got it. That's not typical, but it's feasible. And the only way that we don't impact that is if we don't get engagement. And I think that's the next subject we should talk about is what does also not work is paying a direct primary care doctor to take care of a population of patients. And then they don't utilize each other. That doesn't impact the plan at all. That doesn't save anything. So what we've learned at Miami Connect is you've got to own and initiate the intake process of new patients. And we start that with enrolling them. Mm -hmm. You say, well, they already went through open enrollment. Let me tell you, data that happens at open enrollment is garbage. That is what the TPA receives and they send it to us. So I'm like, okay, at least we know what the garbage data is. We enroll them ourselves because they're going to tell us what their demographic information actually is. They're going to give us their spouse's cell phone that it actually is, et cetera. After that enrollment, we're going to engage that patient. We're going to call them. We're going to walk them through an intake process of medical history. And then we're finally going to hand them off, like literally hand them off with an appointment to their DPC doctor. Once that gets going, it's a matter of sitting back and looking at utilization data and making sure that it stays within norms. Um, So depending on the size of the group, we may do that annually, biannually, quarterly, our very large groups were looking at that even monthly. So that's engagement. If you have questions about that, feel free to ask, or I'm going to, I'll introduce the next subject that sets us apart, which is key is doing a high claimants analysis. So one of the data sets that we need back from the TPA or the employer is what were the claims? We want to analyze our high claims often and The questions that our care coordination team is going to go through is they're going to say, hey, first off, is this high claimant, this patient, are they engaged with the direct primary care doctor? Was this high claim even known about or was this a surprise left field claim? We segment those. If it's a new patient, back to step one. We're going to go see, hey, did they enroll with us? Did they engage with us? Let's try to redo all that. Sometimes we get high claimants and everything was done. Everybody did their job. You know, the employer deserves that feedback on here's what's going on with that. Those very few patients that are spending 80% of your money. So we've got an entire process built around high claimants analysis 
and action items and reporting back. I think without that, we just don't go far. We segment our groups into small groups, 25 and under. For that group, I honestly don't think that's that important. If you do a good job, everybody's happy, you're going to renew the group and the broker's going to keep the business, everybody's happy. 25 to 150, 200 people, you, you need to be quarterly looking at this stuff. That's real money. That's the size of the dollars being spent. And we can have a huge impact by doing these few things that we've talked about today. And then when you go to 5,500 or higher, that needs to get looked at weekly and monthly. You're usually, in our case, working directly with a consultant that's very good at their job, very detailed, and we become intertwined into that. You take your finger off of that for a second, that plan can spiral out of control. Wow. So, so those are the layers. And there was a couple of things I wanted to add to, to that, Jeremy. So when you had talked about engaging the employees, I think another thing that's really important for employers when they want this program to be successful is to try and incentivize the employees to engage. I know a lot of the programs that we've seen that they have saved the most money in the long run is by doing some sort of open enrollment where if you engage with the doctor within the first three months, you're going to receive $25 or or your deduction on a monthly basis is going to drop. So if you've engaged, you're going to have less of a deduction monthly than if you have not engaged. So I think that's something that's really important that employers can look at when they're wanting to really have more of a successful program. And then the other thing I did want to mention as well as through plan design, I think a big issue that we're running into is that employer groups want to see apples to apples. And so when they're looking at implementing a plan, they want to see what their current plan looks like, but with DPC implemented into it. And the problem is we have come up with specific plan designs where the program is the most successful. And so we have different things that we utilize, such as family monthly deductibles, or we'll implement DPC in there with labs, x-rays, ultrasounds, free of charge. So we do a lot of things with our plan design to make it a better plan that is going to utilize our services in a more effective way to save the employer money. But a problem that we tend to find is that groups and a lot of the brokers and partners that we work with, they want to see an apples to apples comparison of what those plans look like. And it's just, that's not setting anyone up necessarily for success long-term if we just You'll see success if you just plug DPC in with an integrated plan, but really changing kind of up that plan design to really incentivize people to utilize DPC is where you're also going to see the program be successful and you're going to see those savings that Dr. Smith was talking about earlier. And Ramesh, I think the way you measure the success of this whole thing is if I was an employer or if I'm a consultant and I'm looking at this program and someone has put together a DPC program, I'm going to ask them, hey, What's the offset cost? Is there credits on the stop loss premium? What percentage of the DPC cost is actually being offset by a stop loss carrier looking at this control and cost mechanism and saying, you know what, I'm going to credit a certain percentage of that DPC back. Um, We've got two different risk pools that we work with that have followed us for years, have been part of our plans and part of, they've taken the risk on our plans. Um, and the answer right now with Mind to Connect is it's 100% credit. It doesn't cost us a thing with these stop loss carriers. Like They don't want business written without us on it. This is a successful risk venture for them. 
we've got a large risk pool that's just come on the same concept. It's like these control mechanisms deserve a hundred percent cost offset. And so when you get to a point and I've dreamt this for seven years, it was like, if we could get to a point where people said, this makes so much sense, it should be free. That's where we're at today. I think that's a great way in a Testament to measure this and say, when the actuaries look at it, you know, those guys, those weird guys that don't, don't move. It takes seven, eight years of data to make them have maybe a thought of we should change this or credit this. No, no. Those guys moved very rapidly and said, this makes a lot of sense. We've seen the data. It's come back and it's, we're going to pay for this. We want this on everything that we write. So if you're a consultant and you're working with a DPC integrated plan, I think the ultimate answer and definition of integration is it's done so well, it should be free. This is phenomenal. There's some really insightful things that have been shared. I can't even count now, but I think there's been some really valuable things. As we kind of wrap up this session, looking forward the next two years, where do you see, I guess, some of the challenges and how are you trying to address that and uh, helping your customers? We need a two-hour podcast for that question. We have a lot of challenges. Education is the biggest one. Hmm. Education is the biggest one. Another challenge is how do we get stop-loss carriers to understand this to the point they know how to offset their premiums uh, to credit the program? How do we speed up the process of getting quote renewals for small self-funded businesses? A trap we get in every renewal season is bad renewals come to employers very late. And I know that's on purpose. And by the time they say, hey, can you help me? I can't afford this price increase. Now they don't have enough time to go shop. If we could shorten that cycle, which we're working on, to get self-funded plans quoted back from the TPAs, the PBMs, and the stop-loss carriers, if we could get that turnaround from three weeks during busy season down to instantaneous, a few hours, 24 hours. That's our goal. That way it provides a choice for that employer that's already behind the eight ball. I think that's the biggest challenge. And if we can solve that, Mm. then we'll just have a scalability problem. This doctors are flocking out of fee for service, primary care into direct primary care. So I think the supply of DPCs will answer the demand that's happening organically today. One of the challenges for DPCs to take the risk, if we can bring them a guaranteed revenue source for employers, that's going to speed that supply of DPC doctors up. And again, education. Those mm-hmm. doctors have to understand self-funding at some level to understand that it's not, Uncle Ramesh is not paying for everything, right? Your, your boss is. And so those are just a few. Seriously, we need hours to go through the challenges that we still face. But we've spent eight years coming through the challenges that we have. Those are some of the answers to the things that we ran up against, the pathway we chose to solve it, and um, just where we are today. I think it's an, a neat inflection point in the industry where we're at today. Yeah. And I think you've also, as you said, accomplished a lot trying to prove out it's not just about the doctor and being on site or direct primary contract or whatever the different versions of this are. But it's a whole host of other pieces that are very, very important to deliver this level of 
you know, impact, seeing 30% reduction to 50%. It's phenomenal. So I think a big pat on your back and also for the industry to have services like yours. And I think education or other aspects, we'll have to maybe have another session. But I appreciate you taking the time today. This has been very informative for our audience. My pleasure. Thank you. Please join us for another podcast in the series brought to you by HCAA's Voices of Self-Funding. Please like or share so we can build a community of like-minded people and tell us about topics that we should bring to you next. Please watch your email for updates on upcoming guests. I'm your host, Ramesh Kumar of Zaki Point Health.